When I was about 10 or 11 years old, I used to walk down the street from my house to this old house that didn't look unlike the home where Frankenstein might live. You know, it was kind of surrounded with trees. It was tall and scary looking. Maybe the Adams family, if not Frankenstein, something like that. And, and I used to go there and um, there were these uh, three elderly sisters who lived together in this house. And they would give me odd jobs to do and pay me a robust 75 cents an hour. And uh, it was a great job, I guess. <laughs> this was the only one. So it was either mowing grass for my aunt or going down to the, the Frankenstein house and doing odd jobs for the three elderly sisters. I remember usually what they would do is have me pull weeds, which re- really kind of ridiculous because there was more re- weeds than grass. It would have been easier to pull the grass and just leave all the weeds and just pretend like they belong there. But that's not what they wanted me to do. So I would go down there and pull weeds. And, and sometimes they would have me carry boxes. I would go to their back porch and they would have all these stacks and stacks of boxes filled with nothing but newspapers and magazines. And here I was, this little 11-year-old boy, and I'm carrying these boxes from the back porch to the garage. And you should have seen the garage. You couldn't have got another box in there with a shoehorn. So even after I got all the boxes out and tried to find them in there, there would be, I just would have to squeeze and pack. And I'd come back next week and guess what? It was like that back porch was an organism that did nothing but produce boxes of newsprint and magazines, which they, of course, wanted me to carry to the garage that had no more room for boxes of newspapers or magazines. And I would do this all the time. I remember one, one time, and, and thankfully only one time, they invited me to go into the house. There were, some, there were some boxes in the kitchen. Apparently the kitchen had been hanging out with the back porch, and now it was also producing boxes of newspapers and magazines. And so I went into the kitchen... And the, um, the aroma of cat was so strong. There were cats everywhere. I'm talking about black cats and white cats, orange cats, calicos, um, tiger cats, cats everywhere. They were rubbing up against my leg and I was about to scream, but, you know, I was trying to be a man at 11 and so I didn't. It, it, was, it was terrifying. And there were boxes and stacks of stuff just everywhere. If it were today... These sisters would have been on the TLC show Hoarders. Have you seen this show? Yeah? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not poking fun at them. But there was just stuff everywhere. It was piled on top of things everywhere you could find. Sometimes my wife will turn on that show on television while I'm sitting around watching, and she'll wait a few minutes and then just sort of slyly ask, so are we thinking about cleaning the garage anytime soon? You know? Why do we hold on to things? We hold on to all kinds of stuff, don't we? I mean, I know I do. I'm a pack rat. I hold on to everything. You know, uh, my, my, my wife's a filer and a getting rid of person, and I, I, I save it. And so we're, we're constantly in the struggle about, no, I might need that someday, you know? I love it. Nothing makes me happier than when someday I'm, I'm, I'm looking through my stuff and I find, a, you know, a, a roll of a speaker wire or a few alligator clips. And I can use it, you know, fixing my motorcycle, tying on a a saddlebag with a piece of speaker wire that I I have from 1989. I call the family in when that happens. I'm like, sit down, I've got a lesson for you, you know. And two decades ago, I saved this roll of speaker wire. And just today, I used it to fix my motorcycle. You know, some smart old kid will say something like, couldn't you just use the rawhide string? No, no, I needed to save this speaker wire for two decades in order that I might fix a motorcycle that I didn't even own back then. You know, I have to hold on to this stuff. It's only one side of the coin, though. Saving and hoarding and pack ratting away. There's another side of that coin. 
And that is that sometimes we keep all the stuff we don't need and often don't have the stuff that we do need. You ever find yourself in that situation? You, you look around, you've got all kinds of stuff, but none of it's the right stuff. I mean, you need something and it's just not there. That's when you make another trip to, to Ace, right, and pick it up. I remember this episode, this uh, scene in the movie Goodwill Hunting. Maybe you remember it, uh, this, this young man, Will, is, he's, he's looking around a psychologist's office and he's, he's perusing his shelves of books. And he says to, him, says to the psychologist there, he says, you people amaze me. You surround yourself with books and they're all the wrong books. <laughs> you know, uh, it might sound arrogant, but I've been in a minister's office when I thought the exact same thing. Goodness, you've surrounded yourselves with books and they're all the wrong books. We surround ourselves with stuff sometimes and it's the wrong stuff. Uh, the Atlantis Morissette song. It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. <laughs> you know, that's, that's our world, isn't it? We have all these things. The irony is that we have so much stuff. And often it's not the right stuff. And I think that's true in our spiritual lives as well. We surround ourselves with stuff that we think will make us smarter and wiser and holier and better and more devout and more sacrificial. And, and all that, all of that. But not always is it the right stuff. And you say to me, okay, smarty pants, or Mr. Smarty Pants, uh, <laughs> tell me, what is the right stuff? And that's where the Gospel of Luke comes in, or Gospel, excuse me, the, the book of Acts written by St. Luke comes in. He's written two volumes, you know, the Gospel of Luke, and then his volume two, the book of Acts. The book of Acts could be titled St. Luke, volume two. It could be titled a lot of things. The Acts of the Apostles is what we call it. Probably better called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This isn't so much about what the church is doing. It's more about what God is doing. And Luke begins his second volume where he left off in his first one. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And just before he does, here's the instructions he gives to his friends. Follow me. Chapter 1, he says this. We didn't read it today, so you have to listen. This is where you're going to get it for free. He says... Wait. There it is. Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. He will give you the Holy Spirit and you'll be filled with power. Wait for the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Before you do any mission, before you preach any sermon, before you offer any Sunday school class or do anything else, before you get involved in any sort of activity, here's what I want you to do first. I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what I want you to do first. But why? Why wait for the Holy Spirit? And I think you see it in the passage. Jesus gave us a hint, you'll receive power, and that's exactly what you see, isn't it? They wait, they're gathered, they're waiting in an upper room, waiting for whatever is going to happen, they're not really sure, and suddenly it does. St. Luke says the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing violent wind. And it, it descends upon, or He descends, the Holy Spirit descends upon them with tongues of like fire. Now, it's not a real wind, and it's not real fire. He uses similes. You remember similes, don't you, from your grammar class? Like or as? This comes a, 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 like a rush of wind. Like a tongue of fire came down upon them. Not real wind, not real fire, but real power. Power like a tornadic force. Something we know a little bit about, right, from watching the news. We've seen what tornadoes can do in Alabama and Missouri. Force that just can destroy or, or, or completely move houses and buildings and 
automobiles. But the Holy Spirit's not a destructive force. The Holy Spirit is a constructive force. The same sort of power that a tornado has to destroy, St. Luke says that sort of power comes to the church to construct, to build. He empowers people. He empowers them with with the gift of languages. All of a sudden, the languages they hadn't studied or learned begin to come out of their mouths. Why? So they can communicate the gospel to people from all over the world. He gives one of them, St. Peter, the gift of eloquence so that he can stand up and preach a sermon. And listen, if you were to read on in the story, here's what you would hear. And the people were cut to the heart. How is it that they were cut to the heart? How is it that they were convicted to be able to hear this message of St. Peter? Because the power of the Holy Spirit was present. I mean, it was was amazing. 3,000 people came to faith that day. I mean, that's better than a Billy Graham crusade, right? They have people coming by the the flocks here. 3,000 people come to faith in one day. It wasn't just the preacher's ability. It wasn't just the... The, the people's ingenuity. It wasn't their clever wits or any of that sort of stuff. It was that they waited first for the Holy Spirit. In one way, Pentecost, the story told in Acts chapter 2, is a historical event. It happened at a point in time, not going to happen again like that. It was the inauguration day of the church. But in another way, I think it is an often repeated event. That every individual, every congregation needs to have this happen again. That we need the power of the Holy Spirit before we go out into mission. Before we get involved in ministry. Before we preach and teach and do all the things that we do. If we do them without the Holy Spirit, we do them without the necessary power. It's like having all the stuff around us and it's not the right stuff. So what is it that you long for in your life? Holiness, moral purity? I think the Lord Jesus would say, wait for the Holy Spirit. It's not just about working harder and and resolving more. It's like St. Augustine said, command whatever you will, O God, but give me the grace to do what you command. Want to be able to do what it is that God commands? Wait for the Holy Spirit. What about spiritual growth? What about growing in intimacy and relationship with the Lord? Same thing. Wait for the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus said this to His friends. He said, right now the Holy Spirit is with you. Para, alongside of you. But He shall be in you. You want spiritual growth? You want to to grow in intimacy with the Lord? It's not something that you can manipulate. It's not something that you can fabricate. I'm feeling like I should do another eight words so I can rhyme one more time. It's not something that you can make up or make happen. It's, that was kind of funny, I thought. It's something that you can, you can wait for and allow that God does it in you. He does for you what you cannot do for yourself. Or what about power and mission? I want to see the church grow. I want to see it flourish. It's not because of our clever wits. Though some of us have clever wits. Some of you have clever wits. It's not because we have, we have great powers of persuasion. Though we might have powers of persuasion. It's not because of our money. Not many of us have it, but some of us do, you know. It's not because of that. Those things are not the things that will empower us for mission. What will empower us for mission is the Holy Spirit, who will make our wits far 
keener than they ever were. The Holy Spirit will make our voice more persuasive than it ever was. The Holy Spirit will stretch our dollars farther than we ever thought that they could stretch. It's not about what we do. It's about what God does in us. When I was a kid, I used to watch this show, MASH. Did any of you ever watch MASH? I was a MASH addict. It was probably because we only had three channels, you know, and it was one of them. And so I remember watching MASH, and there was this one episode where a bomb dropped right into the middle of the camp. They were in, uh, they were in Korea in the war, and it was a, this was a, uh, a military hospital. I'm going all these details for anybody under 40. Okay, and so it's, uh, it's in the, it's in the, the middle of the, of the camp. There's this bomb, and it didn't explode. And, of course, there are patients in there, and they're all, they're all in, you know, in peril. And, and so somebody has to go out there and dismantle this bomb. And so they draw straws, and, and, and Pierce, Dr. Pierce, draws the short straw, puts on a helmet, toolkit, goes out there, and there's the, the colonel. It's kind of a, a mishap, Colonel Henry Blake. He's standing way off on the side, and he's yelling out instructions. And, he, and here's what he says. He says, all right, Pierce, first thing, take the four screws off, off of the outer plate. He takes them off. He says, now remove the outer plate. He takes it off. He says, he's looking down at the instructions. Okay, now, now reach in and turn the, the firing mechanism four turns to the left. Pierce looks in, he turns it four to the left. And then Henry says, but before you do that, make sure... <laughs> There's a lot of things we need to do. But this one thing, this one thing we cannot live without. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Amen.